Good morning. Welcome to Solid Rock. Great to see everybody today. If you would make your way to your seats, we'll go ahead and begin in just a moment. I'm going to say thank you to, to Kevin and the musicians for a beautiful uh, time of singing this morning and for rolling with the punches and helping our kids uh, through that song. Wonderful job, as always. Thanks, guys and gal, Audra. Thank you. Um, we'll begin by passing the offering baskets this morning. If you have a contribution to make, you can drop it in the basket as it comes by. also want to say a special thank you to all of you who helped with the safe-to-sleep safe dinner last night, either in uh, cooking a meal or in being there to help serve or in uh, helping to transport dishes from place to place. Thank you all for for your help and, and for your um, consistent uh, efforts to, to bless that ministry and to bless the, the women who uh, benefit from that ministry. So thanks for feeding them a great, great meal last night. Um, we look forward in 2019 to continue our, uh, our involvement with that ministry and, and in the days uh, to come. So thank you again. Uh, this week, we'll have our midweek prayer service at noon, um, and uh, it's coming quickly, Christmas Eve. That will obviously be on the 24th, but we'll celebrate at 5 p.m. here at the church. So Monday the 24th, 5 p.m. is our Christmas Eve service. Always a, a wonderful time to kind of um, kick off the, the Christmas season. As uh, Kevin mentioned this morning, we are still in the waiting mode, although... Um, in culture, we've kind of broken into celebration mode. Um, we don't want to do that too prematurely, but we believe that really the weight of this season uh, falls not only on the back end of the Christmas season, but also on the front end in this period of waiting. So we'll continue to celebrate Advent this morning as uh, Matt shares with us. Our scripture reading comes from Isaiah chapter 12, verses 2 through 6. You will say in that day, I will give thanks to you, O Lord, for though you were angry with me, your anger turned away, that you might comfort me. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and will not be afraid, for the Lord God is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. With joy you will drink, draw water from the wells of salvation, and you will say in that day, give thanks to the Lord, call upon his name. Make known his deeds among the peoples. Proclaim that his name is exalted. Sing praises to the Lord, for he has done gloriously. Let this be made known in all the earth. Shout and sing for joy, O inhabitant of Zion, for great in your midst is the Holy One of Israel. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. Isaiah concludes that with, shout and sing for joy, for great in your midst is the Holy One of Israel. This is a theme that we're going to continue picking up, um, talking about this morning. Welcome to Solid Rock. We're happy to have you for those that are here visiting to hear this, the, the kids sing a couple of songs for us. Thanks for being here. Uh, thanks for joining us for worship. Uh, we, a few moments ago, lit an additional candle on the Advent wreath this morning, and perhaps you've noticed that there are different colors present in the Advent wreath, and 
these colors that are represented here are not random. This, this isn't just a haphazard assortment of whatever colored candles we happen to have on hand in the storage room, although that might not be surprising if that were the case. But these colors do signify, they, they represent specific realities or specific themes that are at play during this season. And so the most common color represented in this wreath, the, the purple candles, and purple thematically speaks of royalty, it speaks of repentance, which are obviously two important themes during this season. The, the center candle, which we are going to light just over a week from today during our Christmas Eve service, this is the Christ candle, and it represents the Christ child. But what about this oddball pink candle? It's at the back, and maybe you can't see it that clearly, but there is a pink candle at the back of this wreath. Well, the rose-colored candle, the one we lit this morning, represents joy. You may have noticed that a lot of the songs that we have sung together this morning have that as a major theme, and that's because the third Sunday of Advent is referred to as Gaudet Sunday. Gaudet is a Latin word that simply means to rejoice, and traditionally this week of Advent um, has been a time where we remind ourselves that this season of waiting, anticipation, and even a sense of angst, it is nearing an end. Christmas is just around the corner, and so we begin to slowly step into some of that preliminary sense of joy. Almost every text that is assigned to this Sunday in the lectionary at least mentions joy. And in most of those texts, it is one of the central themes. We are, in fact, moving towards this season of exuberant joy. But during Advent, we also understand and recognize that for some, moving into the holidays is anything but a joy-filled prospect. Maybe you feel a much closer affinity as we move into the holidays. Maybe you feel a much closer affinity with a character like Jovi from the movie Elf, who is just trying to make it through the holidays. When she's confronting, confronted with that seemingly deranged man wearing yellow tights who can't stop smiling, a man for whom this is the best time of the year. And so these two perspectives on this season are set in stark contrast. Just trying to make it through this season, this is the best time of the year. And I think that's one of the reasons that Advent is such a rich season for the church, not because of the movie Elf, but because of that contrast that is presented. Because Advent is sort of all-encompassing. We celebrate the past. We identify with Israel and enter into Israel's waiting for her Messiah in a small way, but we also understand that we are existing in the present with a lot of darkness that surrounds us as well, and we look forward to the future with great hope, believing that Christ will return and completely restore. So it is past and present and future. Advent also gives voice to some of the tension that we exist with every day. This is what I mean by that. So the traditional themes of Advent, which are represented in these candles in our Advent wreath, the traditional themes of Advent are hope, peace, joy, and love. And yet, as we have seen over the past couple of weeks, there are some 
other realities or other themes at play during Advent that are also drawing us deeper into the life of Christ, but they seem to contradict in some way some of these themes. So we've seen apocalyptic themes, and we've seen sorrow and sort of that sense of angst and waiting and the importance of repentance from sin and all of these things. Those are are tensions that we often have to hold together in our own minds and in our own lives just to make it through the day. I mean, we could consider this. We are supposed to be, we are called to be a peaceful people, but how can we be at peace when so much in our world is defined by conflict and violence? Or how can we love, how can we truly love when everything is pushing us toward and encouraging us to hate? How can we enter into joy when there is so much to lament? When there's so much to be angry about or to be filled with sorrow about? How can we truly experience joy? And Advent slows us down enough to give us space to wrestle with that tension, not to ignore it, not to fake joy or to fabricate love, but to recognize that we often inhabit this space where those ideals of hope, peace, joy, and love don't always come easily. They don't always come naturally. It gives us space to wrestle with that tension between I'm just trying to make it through the holidays on one hand and this is the best time of the year. I mentioned during the first week of Advent, two weeks ago, that we were going to be spending some time in the Hebrew prophets throughout the month of December, both the major and minor prophets, and that's the case once again today. Our reading for today from the prophets comes from Zephaniah, one of the minor prophets that doesn't get a lot of airtime, but the message that we find in the short book of Zephaniah moves from a pronouncement of judgment for sin, so it's a very heavy message at the beginning, and then it transitions to a pronouncement of hope. So a pronouncement of judgment for sin to a pronouncement of hope. Now we are picking this up near the end of the book of Zephaniah, chapter 3 to be exact, but if you read the first couple of chapters of this prophetic text, Joy, the theme that we are considering today, joy probably isn't the first thing that comes to your mind. Because the first couple of chapters are largely about judgment that is coming because of persistent sin and idolatry from the people. So this was a warning to a people who were failing terribly in regard to faithfulness to Yahweh. And yet we find the instruction given to Israel in chapter 3, it is this, rejoice. So there's been warning of judgment, and then Zephaniah says, but rejoice and exult with all your heart. It doesn't even really seem to make sense considering what is going on. So we need to back up and provide a little bit of context for the message Zephaniah is offering. Zephaniah is a prophet. He prophesied during the reign of King Josiah. Josiah reigned from 640 to 609 BC, for those who might be interested in some of those historical details. And Josiah was very much a king of reform. He was trying to bring 
change to Judah, and it was seeming to, to prove to be a very difficult task. So keep in mind, this is during the era of the divided kingdom. You have Israel to the north, you have Judah to the south, and by this time, Israel to the north had already been taken into captivity by Assyria. That happened nearly a century before what Zephaniah is writing about here. At this time, Judah, though not necessarily completely carefree, Judah was still probably mistakenly feeling a sense of security. At this time, Babylon hadn't yet invaded and taken the people into captivity. And yet, this is a warning for what lies ahead if the people continue going down the path they are heading on. Zephaniah says, you think you're secure, but things are not looking good at all. You're heading in a destructive direction because there is personal and systemic sin that is running rampant. He goes ahead and provides a list of some of their personal, individual, and national grievances. He says there's syncretism at work among you. There is corruption in every level of leadership. There is injustice. There is complacency. It's just an absolute lack of faithfulness to Yahweh from the people who are supposed to remain close to Yahweh's heart. And Zephaniah says, because of this, because of that injustice, because of that complacency, there will be judgment for you too. Zephaniah says, there is going to be judgment for all nations, but what you may not realize is that it includes you. Judgment is coming to the house of Judah as well. So you need to repent, turn from your sin, and return to God. It's the first couple of chapters of Zephaniah, but then things shift rather dramatically in the middle of chapter 3 from that pronouncement of judgment as judgment turns to hope. And this is where we pick up the message, chapter 3, verse 14. Zephaniah says, sing aloud, O daughter of Zion, shout, O Israel. So this sounds similar to some of the themes Isaiah was bringing up in our scripture reading today. Rejoice and exult with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away the judgments against you. He has cleared away your enemies. The King of Israel, the Lord is in your midst. You shall never again fear evil. Zephaniah says, Rejoice. The Lord your God is in your midst. Now, when you consider the message of the previous two chapters, the presence of God in your midst does not sound like a good thing. Zephaniah has gone into detail explaining why judgment is coming to the house of Judah. These are all of the ways you are failing as a nation, and God is here. That sounds like it could be a very dangerous prospect. And yet, Zephaniah says, Rejoice. And this is why. Because God wants to extend blessing and grace. But he wants to extend blessing and grace to all peoples and all nations. Zephaniah says change is desperately needed, and maybe it's needed just as much in Judah as it is anywhere else. And I am going to bring the change that is necessary. A day is coming 
Rejoice, because God is your salvation. We continue reading in verse 16 of chapter 3. On that day it shall be said to Jerusalem, Fear not, O Zion. Let not your hands grow weak. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. I will gather those of you who mourn for the festival so that you will no longer suffer reproach. Behold, at that time I will deal with all your oppressors and I will save the lame and gather the outcast and I will change their shame into praise and renown in all the earth. At that time I will bring you in at the time when I gather you together. For I will make you renowned and praised among all the peoples of the earth when I restore your fortunes before your eyes, says the Lord. Zephaniah says, the Lord your God is in your midst. And while that may sound like a terrifying prospect, be filled with joy because he is bringing restoration seems as though Zephaniah would suggest that joy is not only possible in the middle of angst and heartache. It's not only possible when there is judgment and sorrow, but it is even appropriate because the presence of your king is among you, even when it feels like that is a distant reality or a fairy tale. Zephaniah says, God is here. Your king is in your midst. Rejoice. Currently reading, actually, I just finished it this week. I was currently reading it when I wrote this, but I, I have now reached the end. Anyway, I just finished a book by Thomas McKenzie, who's an Anglican priest in Nashville. And in a chapter on the contemplative nature of the Christian life, he made this statement. He said, God is more present in the room than we are. God is more present in the room than we are. God is always ready to be with us. And I think these were encouraging words for the folks that Zephaniah is writing to. I think these should be encouraging words for us as well. And to flesh this out a little more, let's jump to our New Testament text from today. Today's text from the epistles is from the Apostle Paul's letter to the church in Philippi. And right at the end of that letter, we, we find a chapter that is comprised pretty much entirely of these general exhortations that Paul uses to wrap up his thoughts in this letter. And one of those exhortations we find in our text for today, chapter 4, beginning in verse 4, where he says this, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always. So we find this list of imperatives from Paul, and maybe those exhortations feel a little bit distasteful or 
the very least, insensitive. I, I think at times we can hear an instruction like rejoice and, and think, well, that's easy for you to say, Paul. You aren't enduring what I'm enduring. If you knew how difficult it was for me to be happy right now, you probably wouldn't be so patronizing. And I think Paul would respond, as he says here in Philippians 4, again, I will say rejoice. It isn't a denial of your present suffering or or sorrow or your anger. Those may very well be legitimate emotions. I don't think this is at all Paul condescendingly saying something like, hey, it, it would be more pleasant for all of us if you could just smile more. I don't think that's what Paul is getting at. This is coming from a man who is well acquainted with hardship. He's personally gone through some incredibly difficult stuff, and he knows that the folks he's writing to have experienced great challenges, and they will again in the future, and yet he still has the audacity to say, I get it, but still, one of your callings as a follower of Jesus is to rejoice, to live a life of joy at all times. Why? Well, because as Zephaniah argued, as Isaiah argued, and as Paul argues here, because the Lord is at hand. Rejoice because the Lord is here. And when the Lord is near, there is always a reason to rejoice. Even in the middle of unbearable pain, in the middle of disorienting confusion, even when happiness is fleeting and that smile seems unreasonable. Heartache, sorrow, grief, those are all very real emotions, and we don't ignore those realities. We, we don't pretend they don't exist, but we also understand that those emotions that are very real don't necessarily preclude joy. Joy, from a, a Christian perspective, is very much a decision that we can make. Happiness may not be. Happiness comes and goes with the ebb and flow of life. Happiness can be very dependent on the situations we face. Joy, on the other hand, is a disposition that we put on, a disposition that we choose. A Christian vision of joy is not synonymous with a giddy karaoke session of Pharrell Williams' hit song, Happy. Is that Pharrell Williams, Bruno Mars? I don't know. Probably shouldn't have used that example. It's not a, a giddy karaoke session or a highly energetic inability to stop smiling. That's not the type of joy we're referring to. But it is. It least it seems to be according to Paul here in Philippians, it is a disposition we can choose because we understand that whatever difficulties surround, whatever anxieties hang over our heads or whatever pain will not leave, we are also quite confident and we ground ourselves in that confidence that the presence of Jesus doesn't leave. And so when we hear Paul say these words, we can accept it. Rejoice in the Lord always. The Lord is at hand. Don't be anxious about anything, 
But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Whatever we face, we can rejoice. We have to choose to do it, and that's not easy. But we can rejoice because as Christians, our joy is found first and foremost, in the presence of Jesus Christ. And obviously, there are a lot of other things in this life that bring us joy. But the only source of lasting joy, the only source of joy that is not situationally dependent, is our delight in the presence of Jesus. Now, I get that the season that we are entering into, for some in this room, is... A difficult time. Austin alluded to this at the end of our time last week. For some in this room, maybe you look around and it seems like everybody else is happy and enjoying time with family and friends, but for you, maybe this season is a stark reminder of the loss of a loved one. Or maybe this season is a reminder of a changed family situation that has brought a lot of unprecedented complexity into your life. Or maybe it's a reminder of a very challenging financial situation that you find yourself in, or maybe some of those strained family relationships that remain hidden most of the year, maybe those are beginning to bubble to the surface because of extra time spent together. And the list could go on. That's a small sampling of potential issues that lead to sorrow during this season. And I don't pretend to understand everything that you all are going through during this season, but I'm sure that many of you, many of us, find this season to be one where we are just attempting to find our way and discover how we could possibly live in that tension of joy and sorrow. How can we even begin to live in that tension of life and death, of hope and despair. And I want to submit this morning, not at all in a dismissive way, but I really do believe that the best way to begin navigating that tension, the best way for us to keep hope in the complexity of life is to find a joy that is deeply rooted in the reality of Emmanuel, God with us. Because when God comes, as our text in Zephaniah alluded to, as Isaiah alluded to, and as Paul suggests here, when Jesus comes, he brings grace. He calls for repentance and brings forgiveness of our sins. He brings restoration, brings life into our death, hope to our despair. He turns sorrow into joy. And so this morning... We simply engage in the discipline of joy. The discipline of joy. I don't think we often think of joy as a discipline, but I think it is. We rejoice. We make a conscious decision to avoid allowing every real and the very present hardship we are facing to suffocate joy. We rejoice. We choose to rejoice because God put on flesh 
God is with us. Near the end of his book, Orthodoxy, G.K. Chesterton famously claims that as humans, we are much more ourselves when joy is the fundamental thing in us. He says that praise should be the permanent pulsation of the human soul. And I think joy is such a critical component of a Christian worldview precisely because we are entering into an understanding that God is with us. That is the source of our joy. Kevin, if you all want to come up. And if the rest of you want to stand, we are going to move to a time of celebration around the table. And I think perhaps the most appropriate thing that we could do in this moment as a reminder of the presence of Jesus that is always with us is the Eucharistic celebration. The meal that we are sharing in just a moment, this is the thing that we are working towards every Sunday when we gather together. Why? Well, because simply put, we believe that we encounter Jesus Christ in this meal. That the presence of Jesus is with us in this meal in a mysterious, yes, but in a very real way. So when we take the bread and when we take the cup, we are taking in Jesus, his body and his blood. Not in a literal sense, but we take in the life of Jesus Christ through these physical elements. And we allow his presence over the years through this routine meal to shape us and to form us. I like to sort of think of it as a glacier, a river of ice moving through the mountains that over the course of thousands of years is in the end shaping and forming the landscape. Similarly, I think this meal is shaping us, our means of sustenance by which we mysteriously receive the grace of God. This is how we live. This is how we live, the life of Christ in us and with us, our sense of joy. And this meal is a very tangible representation of Christ's presence. So this morning, we allow joy to deepen in our hearts through this meal. Austin, if you want to join me as we prepare to distribute the elements, we'll invite you to form two lines down the center aisle. You can take the elements and take them on your own, but I return to that idea from earlier this morning that God is more present in the room than we are. God is more present in the room than we are. God is always ready to be with us. He's ready even now. Jesus invites us this morning to receive joy as we receive this meal. So would you come?